Hello and welcome to the Marysville Church of Christ podcast. This is Heritage, and my name is Bishop Darby. I'll be your host today. Tarsus was an interesting city in the first century. What you may consider a, well, a contradiction. On one end, it represented everything of the working class. Carpenters, tent makers, potters, and more. A city of poverty, of the poor, the lowest rungs of Roman society. But in that same city was housed another group of people, the highly elite. These people were philosophers, theologians, and scribes. People who lived in their ivory towers and looked down at the rest of the world. It was a contradiction, all right. And amidst this city of contradiction, we find the third member of the Gamaliel School, a young boy, a prodigy in his own right. See, Tarsus in the first century was known for some of the greatest thinkers in the whole world. Cordelion, for instance. He was a Stoic philosopher. He was a keeper of a library, and he was known to have memorized large portions of some of the greatest texts in the history of the world. Another man, perhaps most notably, by the name of Nestor, a philosopher who would go on to teach many mathematicians. But the most notable thinker of the day was a man by the name of Athenodorus. See, Athenodorus was himself a student of one of the greatest Stoic philosophers in the history of Greek philosophy, a man by the name of Pisidianus. He would teach and train some of the greatest minds that Rome would ever boast of, Pliny the Younger, Strabo, and more. But his most notable student was a young sickly boy named Gaius Octavius, a boy who was hungry to learn and hungry for power. Gaius Octavius, you may know him better as Augustus Caesar. Athenodorus literally was the philosopher to the first emperor of Rome, a man who would shape centuries of world history. What's fascinating is that Athenodorus, Corleone, Nestor, and more, none of them, none of them are who we remember as the greatest thinker out of Tarsus in the first century. No, that honor is dedicated to a young boy, the son of a tent maker, the son of a Jew. His name? Saul. From the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, according to the law of Pharisee. This young man, Saul, was something special. Whereas most kids his age at six, seven, and eight were beginning to practice music or theater or sports or poetry, he was obsessed with Jewish Torah. He would spend every night after a long, grueling day's work in his father's tin shop, pouring over the Torah, memorizing every law, every psalm of David, pouring over the prophecies of Isaiah until every one of them was etched in his brain tirelessly. By the ages of eight and nine, it was not Paul's, excuse me, Saul's father who would be leading the Shema at the table before dinner. It was Saul himself who would utter the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
He never missed a Shabbat Nah or a Sabbath. He kept every holy day perfect. And he was obsessed with his morality and his love of God. There was no one in Tarsus who loved God more than the young man Saul. And Saul loved God. Quickly, though, it became evident that the rabbis in the synagogues there in Tarsus were no match for this young prodigy. By the ages of 10 or 11, he had memorized large portions of the Torah and could quote them in the synagogue without a scroll. He could expound upon Isaiah's most complex prophecies in ways that none of the rabbis could. He truly was a prodigy. And so he began to lead many of the synagogue studies, going in daily and reciting what he had learned and studied. During the day, as he would sit and sweat in the tent shop, his mind would be dancing across the stories that he looked forward to reading again that night as the words of the Shema played like a constant mantra in the back of his head. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. Saul had a passion. But his passion was unlocked when he learned of a school of Judaism called the Zealots. These men were passionate for the Lord But they took their passion out in forms of rebellion, looking forward to the day where, according to the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah, that Israel would return to its former glory and power. They believed it was their responsibility to bring it in and usher it in by force. Saul loved the stories of the Old Testament, the stories of men like Phinehas, the son of Aaron, who slayed an Israelite and a Moabite woman for bringing immorality into the camp. He poured over stories like Elijah killing and slaughtering the, pro- the prophets of Baal in order to preserve the morality of Israel. The story of the Maccabean brothers who fought empires to liberate Israel. And there, in his mind, he hatched a thought, a drive, something that would motivate him for, for years as he began to think of himself as the new Phinehas, the next Elijah, the Maccabean brothers, a zealot of zealots who was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and save the Jews. His teachings in the synagogue there at 10, 11, 12 in Tarsus became far more violent, far more aggressive, far more zealous and passionate. Not only that, but around this time, he would also begin learning from men like Athenodorus, the philosopher to the empire. He would hear the messages of these Gentile philosophers, and the words of violence and triumph of imperialism began to seep into his brain, and they would etch themselves along his Torah and his Jewish theology. Paul was being shaped into a young radical, a man who was going to bear the burden of Israel and save it, regardless of the cost. One day, as he was meditating on either the Torah or the books of prophecy or Stoic philosophy or the writings of Socrates, the council of the the city of Tarsus, of the Jews of the city of Tarsus, came to him and informed him that they were going to pay his way into the most prestigious school in the world, the school of Gamaliel in Jerusalem. 
And with no time at all, Saul, at the age of 11 or 12, would have packed his bags, grabbed his sister, and those two together would have sailed off into Jerusalem. Night after night, he would have sat on the deck of the ship, imagining him arriving in the city of holiness itself, the city of Jerusalem, the city that he was going to liberate at any cost. The young Saul, the zealot, who was coming to save his people, the children of God, and prepare the way for the new Israel, he was coming home for the first time. He was coming to Jerusalem to learn under the greatest thinker of his day, Gamaliel. But his time at that school would shape him. Shape him from the revolutionary radical of his early years. And through the teachings of Gamaliel, the friendships of Barnabas and Apollonius, his life would change forever. Until eventually on the road to Damascus. Well, we'll get there next week.